Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture lesson is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciple told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and put it in my side. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the words of our mouths, the meditation of our hearts. Be our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Did you know that Easter is a season in the life of the church? Most of us think of Easter as happening on a Sunday, and then the business life of the church and teaching kind of goes back to business as usual. On the contrary, Easter being the profound, deciding, defining reason for the church's existence, its resurrection and, and life in Christ is the main focus of our faith. And so seven weeks are dedicated to the Easter season. Fifty days in which we are to live into and discover the power of Christ rising 
and its reality for our lives. Understandably, that is not how the disciples felt on that first Easter evening. They are not exactly filled with bold and powerful lives at this point. They've been made aware that this reality is somehow theirs. But for multiple good reasons, they find themselves hiding and hunkering down on the evening of Easter, afraid for their lives. To highlight that struggle, the text following the experience of Mary Magdalene coming back to tell the disciples that she's seen the Lord is directly followed by the experience of the disciples and Thomas. Serene Jones says this, None has left a stronger mark on the imagination of Western Christianity than Thomas. We love him. He is the incredible, incredulous skeptic who hides inside every believing Christian. The questioner in us that resists easy answers to questions of faith. Who always wants a little more proof. Thomas is there to ask the question on our behalf. They're all scared this particular evening for very good reason. The disciples have understood that the early church wonders. Could this resurrection thing be real? Could God be both divine and human? And die and rise? Those debates were going on early on. And then in the medieval times, the debate became more logical. And they said, well, can that resurrection really happen at all? Is it literally possible? The debates and questions around the resurrection have gone on since the beginning of Thomas and the early disciples. And those questions are still coming up. What I dare to believe is that our, quote, doubting Thomas and the story about him is less to do about what Thomas wondered about and felt. And it's so much more about who Jesus was and what he's willing to do on the behalf of struggling persons of faith so that you and I know that even in our doubts, we belong. We're in the second week of our Easter series, Belong, Begin to Behave, and Believe. Last week we talked about the Marys in the church who encounter the risen Christ and don't recognize him until Jesus is willing to speak their names. We talked about the beloved disciple who gets to the tomb first before Peter and he looks in, he looks, sees the grave cloth separated and he knows something profound has happened but what to believe, what to believe, he doesn't quite know yet. And then the Peters, 
the Peters who are brash and brazen and believe one day and are cowards the next, who run and hide and show up and haven't got anything to say. Those that are trying to build the life of the church, they belong. They belong, and now Thomas shows up. He belongs too, even in his doubt, demanding proof of the risen Christ, needing to see for himself, struggling to imagine how Jesus could be so dead on one Sunday morning and alive the next moment. What about the Thomases? Do they belong too? The scriptures struggle to help us understand that the disciples from their point of view on that first Easter morning must have been trying to wrap their minds around a risen Christ. But by golly, isn't this Jesus movement over? He's gone. The door is locked and they are hunkered down for fear of persecution. Are the powers that be coming after them next? They arrested Jesus and killed him. Will they be the ones who are taken and, and abused next? What it really tells us is that all of the disciples, do you see that? All of them have yet to trust the word from Mary Magdalene that she's seen the Lord. They're all in this moment of lacking trust, and then Jesus comes in. Through a bolted and locked shut door, Jesus comes into them and says, Peace be with you. For all of them, it's a time of growing in understanding and recognition. This story isn't so much about Thomas as it is about God's compassion for all of his children. For those who can't believe until their names are said, and those who believe something, and those who can't be stuck between what they believe and what they don't, and then the doubters, even they belong. Jesus is the driven one in this scripture, determined to include whoever questions, reaching out to offer evidence if that's what it takes. It is Jesus who refuses to let deadbolts and blocked doors stop the movement of his love. Doubters belong too. What we know is that the struggle to believe and understand is a continuum. We're always learning and growing. And the more that we live, the more pain that we endure, the more times that we've been deceived, the less likely we are to swallow things whole. I don't know that we're born doubters, but those who are wise learn to doubt as a matter of discernment. Thomas is just being normal. 
He dares to ask the question we'd all like to. He knows that there's wisdom in doubting and suggests to us this morning that there might be wisdom in our, died, in our doubting our fear-based conclusions. Shouldn't we ask God to be seen in acts of terror, in threats of war, in violence when it's in our community or in our homes? Shouldn't we invite God into the places where discrimination and illness and enduring hunger put faith to the test? Shouldn't we ask God to bring peace into our lives and experiences to come through those doors precisely where we least expect it? Skeptics rejoice. This gospel tells us you don't have to have it all figured out to belong to the heart and life of a living God. Jesus offers Thomas and us two insights that might be helpful this morning. The first one is when he says, peace be with you, and he invites Thomas into his wounds. Jesus willingly comes again to the scared and confused disciples and offers himself again and again for their reassurance. Thomas was not scolded or censured in any way for asking for this palpable translation of how God was to be understood in this moment. Grace comes to him and it will come to us when we ask and need to believe. The good news is ask away. The answers to the most profound and desperate questions about life come not because we ask them, but because God dares to step into them with his presence to help us believe and to be present in spite of our unbelief. What I think Jesus invites us to understand this morning is that peace is not the absence of conflict or struggle or confusion. Say it again. Peace is not the absence of conflict, struggle, or confusion. This peace is the literal presence of Christ within us, present to us, showing us and showing up as we are needful. What we know is there's seldom going to be a good logical argument that addresses all the questions and doubts that we have in this life. If we had them, it would have cleared the confusion. It's the powerful, peace-instilling wound-healing love of Jesus that makes us realize Jesus is still to be found in us and with us. And there's not a door or a wall that's constructed large enough to prevent him. So the emphasis is not on Thomas doubting, 
but on Jesus' invitation to see him in the moment, to recognize him in the wounds. Now, do we realize what a, an invitation that is? There's a guy by the name of Casey Gerald who has dared to put out a thought called the gospel of doubt. At first, it sounds a little odd, but I beg you to hear it. If you are disturbed by the unconscionable things that, have come, that we have come to accept, that it must be questioning time. So I have not come to give a gospel of disruption or innovation or a triple bottom line. I do not have a gospel of faith to share. In fact, I have and I offer a gospel of doubt. Now hang in there, hang in there. The gospel of doubt does not ask that you stop believing. It asks that you believe a new thing. That it is possible not to believe. Yeah, I told you to hang on. Hold on, hold on. It is possible the answers are wrong. It is possible the questions themselves are wrong. Yes, the gospel of doubt means that it is possible that we on this stage, in this room, could be wrong. But it raises the question, why? With all the power that we hold in our hands as resurrection people, why are people still suffering so badly? Doubt, he says, fuels him because it gives him hope that when troubles overwhelm him, the paths that are laid out can be humble ones of doubt that shine new light into dark places in our lives, in our world. And let the voice of Jesus whisper our names or shout if necessary. There must be another way. And God shows it by showing up and offering his peace and his life and his wounds to address the struggle. That's a real God, a flesh God, a God that gives spirit. The second thing that happens to the disciples may be the most surprising. So here they are in this locked room with all of this conundrum about believing in God and the next thing he does Jesus says, go be my disciples. They go from being disciples to being apostles who are sent out into this crazy world to make a difference. And he breathes on them the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, did you catch that they have yet to figure out what they believe? That they have yet to figure out how to believe and behave as these new Christians. But they belong to God. And that's enough for Jesus to say, I'm going to put the spirit in you and you got to go. 
That peace has to be made real somehow. And Jesus puts it within the disciples to go out and to forgive sins and set them loose, or if they need to be bound, to bind them. Their new role is to help people know that their lack of belief or their lack of knowledge, even their confusion, whatever it is that keeps them afraid, isn't a wall anymore. Do you know what apostles are? Really nothing more than those little rubber wedgy things that prop doors open. We're supposed to open those spots and let the Spirit do its work and the imagination of God bring about healing and transformation. Luther said that human beings are in and of themselves incapable of living up to what God desires. The Holy Spirit makes it possible for the disciples and for all of us to be who Jesus wants us to be, children who first belong and open and clear those doors and barriers. What I ask you this morning, but the Spirit can help the church break through all of the walls and barriers that exist in this world. The barriers of ethnicity, sex and gender and race and class and ability. There are so many walls that need to come down. The Spirit must take us through them so that everyone recognizes they belong too. That what the disciples were sent to do and to be is the same job description you and I have today. Can we be those apostles sent to remove barriers and to recognize when they are trapping others? I want to show you a little clip of a little fellow by the name of Christopher Daffley. When Christopher was born, he was born with autism and born blind. His father was addicted to drugs, and so it wasn't long until he was placed into foster care, and an uncle and his wife adopted him. At, as musicians in a local church, one evening they were at rehearsal, and Christopher, at the ripe age of four, picks up a microphone and begins to sing. No barriers in that little guy's life. This is Christopher at 10. Watch the Spirit work through him. Yeah. 
Is Christopher's request any different than the one that Thomas asked? All of us want the eyes of our hearts opened so that we see God. And while the world is not perfect, He's as whole as he can possibly be, and Christopher is a disciple sent to walk through doors. Peace is in this child. And those who witness him singing are loosed from their sins when he sings, holy, holy, holy. The barriers have got to go. And we are the ones given the spirit and the grace, the gift and the challenge to do it. Thanks be to God, you apostles, you wonderful, crazy, needing to know, doubting, believing, struggling apostles. This is our job. Amen.